Good morning. Please open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 6. Revelation chapter 6. For those of you who are new or visiting, we are in a series on the book of Revelation called Overcomers. A few weeks ago, Dr. Andy Smith wonderfully introduced our series, and uh, he said that uh, Christianity used to be kind of a, a stroll in the park. It has become more of a hike, and as our uh, slide indicates, we will, the closer we get to Christ's second coming, it will become a climb. Uh, that's probably very, very well said. Today we are in chapter 6 and 7. We're talking about the seven seals. And I, I don't know about you, but when I think about seals, I think about marine animals. So this is not about sea world. This is about different type of seal. But if you remember, chapter 1 in Revelation was John's preparation for receiving the information. What we talk about is not something that has happened, but something that will happen in the future. Keep in mind that God is giving John a vision of what's going to happen thousands of years from his vantage point. So he's trying to explain in human words and with his vocabulary what will happen in the future. Chapters 2 and 3, we saw that uh, is the message to the seven churches for the moral preparation necessary to avoid the hour of trial. In other words, the church will not encounter this hour of trial that we're going to talk about uh, in a minute. A few weeks ago, Pastor Kip and Lucas uh, literally and figuratively took us to the throne room. Remember the throne room? By the way, remember that because we're actually we're going to go back to it uh, today. It was there that we were introduced to the seven seal scroll that contained the divine purgings to come. So only now in chapter 6, actually, we see the punishments revealed. So this is how a scroll would have looked like in the uh, first century. And uh, if you wanted to know who the scroll was from, you would put a seal onto it. So the seal had many purposes. One of them is authorship. Who is the seal from? And the seal would tell you that. So the first thing we, are, we need to understand that this scroll is God's word to humanity. But the, the seals also keep the scroll from being tampered with and hide it from unauthorized eyes, which until now it has been sealed. Also, what we need to understand is where are we in time of time in, in terms of timeline. And this slide, I think, explains it uh, very well. Since Scripture interprets itself with Scripture, we cannot arrive at this slide just by looking at one chapter and one verse. We have to look at Daniel chapter 9. We have to look at the words of Jesus in the Gospels. We have to look in, uh, in the book of Thessalonians, both first and second. We need to look in the book of Revelation. But where we are today in chapter 6 and 7, basically the church will be raptured uh, as explained in the book of Thessalonians. And then the, the period called the Great Tribulation starts. So this, the seven seals that we talk about this morning happen at the beginning of the Tribulation. 
and the rise of the Antichrist, as we will see. So, the, the second coming of Christ basically will have two main events. One will be the rapture of the church, and the other one, the establishment of the millennial kingdom. In between those two events, you have what's called the Great Tribulation, a period about seven years. So keep in mind that what we talked about today has not happened, will happen, and the church will not be part of it. There, so you might say, well, Tiberius, why bother then? Well, we'll find out why it is important for us to know. Remember what God said to the, to the seven churches. I want you to know these things so that you will not experience the hour of trial. It is a warning sign. It is a warning word, in a way, for us. So let's look at these, uh, at these seven seals uh, this morning. First of all, the first seal introduces uh, the first four judgments, which introduce the first four horsemen of the apocalypse. And I know a lot of people took these four, first, the four horsemen of the apocalypse, and they use them in sports, and they use them in, uh, in psychology, in relationships, in other areas. But you need to understand where they uh, originated. And they originate here in the book of Revelation. By the way, these four horsemen, the judgment associated with the four horsemen of the apocalypse is not late breaking news in heaven. Should not be late breaking news for us if we read the gospels. Jesus talked about these things and said, hey, towards the end, these things will happen. So what we will see in the, with, the, with the seven seals is that there's an intensification of the judgments. But we have experienced a lot of these things that we will see here uh, today. So let's look at the first uh, two verses. By the way, Jesus calls these the, the beginning of the birth pangs uh, when he talks about in Matthew and Mark. But here in chapter 6, here the first seal. Now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the first seals, and I heard one of the four, the, uh, four living creatures say with a loud voice like thunder, Come, and I looked, and behold, a white horse, and its rider had a bow, a crown, was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. So the rider is described in three phases. One, he holds a bow, he is given a crown, and he rides with the intention to conquer. And a lot of people are tempted to say, oh, this is the same rider in chapter 19, which we know to be Christ. No, this is not Christ. This is the Antichrist. The writer here in the first judgment is none other than the Antichrist. In fact, the, four, the first four horsemen are demonic agents of destruction. And that's what happens here. That's why this is not a feel-good book. This is about reality. This is a wake-up call. The book is full of satanic imitations of Christ. And this first writer is one of them. Warren Wiersbe explains, the fact that he has a bow but no arrows indicates that he conquers the nations peacefully. After the church has been raptured, the way will be opened for the Antichrist to move in triumph. There will be a false peace temporarily, for he will, he will unite nations and make a pact with the Jews. This parallels very well what Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 24. So that's the first seal and the first horseman the antichrist is introduced in the second seal the rider on a red horse we'll see that the worldwide peace will not last for long verses three and four when he opened the second seal i heard the second living creature say come 
and out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that people should slay one another, and he was given a great sword. Again, this should not be late-breaking news anywhere. Jesus said that in Matthew 24 when he said, And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. But now this is being intensified because it happens in the great tribulation. Indeed, red is a color associated with terror and carnage. In, in the book of Revelation, we have a red horse in chapter 6, a red dragon in chapter 12, and a red beast in chapter 17. And what we see here is that international diplomacy will fail. Because why? Because international diplomacy keeps the Prince of Peace out. Let me ask you, do we have peace now? Actually, the 20th century, one scholar says, has been one of the most savage in human history. The communists killed ten of mil tens of millions in Russia, China, Cambodia, North Korea, and the Nazis killed six million Jews during the Holocaust. One scholar puts it like this, and I quote, rather than evolving morally, humanity has simply developed more effective ways, effective means of killing its fellow humans than were available in the past. The Great Tribulation is called Great Tribulation because even though we are experiencing some of those things right now, again, what Jesus calls the beginning of the birth pangs, what continues on, we see the intensification of this. Even though it's hard for us to imagine, in the Tribulation, things will get even worse. Things will not get better. Things will get from bad to worse. Jesus said that. This is explaining that. This is what's going to happen in the Great Tribulation. Look at the third seal, verses 5 and 6. A rider on a black horse. When he opened the third seal, I heard the living creatures say, Come, and I looked, and behold, a black horse. And its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and the wine. Part of the Great Tribulation will be a great famine. Do we experience famine today? Yeah, there are famines that are happening all over the world. But in this Great Tribulation, the, this will be intensified to the point that the cost of bread and barley, which would be basically your basic necessities, will basically be a one day's wages. Ima imagine paying one day's wages for a loaf of bread. That's how bad things will get. Why the difference between the wheat and the barley? Scholars think that wheat was the, the bread of the poor, where barley was the bread of the rich. The idea is that both will be affected. Uh, what's interesting to me and to other scholars is that uh, there is a limitation placed here on, uh, on this uh, punishment. Do not harm the oil and the wine. Some, some scholars believe that this is because, you know, the oil and the wine only belong to the rich, so maybe the rich people will not be as affected. Um, I'm not sure about that. I have to say I don't really know exactly what this means, and 
Um, when people ask us questions, I, I want you to know that it's okay for us to answer with, I don't know. Um, uh, here, I can tell you, I don't know for certain, uh, but I like the explanation of uh, one scholar who says, it could be that sparing the oil and wine also reveals God's mercy in the midst of judgment. It could be that even though it is the period of the Great Tribulation, there is still some grace and mercy for those who are living during this time. The fourth seal introduces us to death. Actually, it's described in two different words, death and Hades. We see that things get from bad to worse in the, in the intensification of the judgments, verses 7 and 8. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come, and I looked, and behold, a pale horse. Its rider was death, and Hades followed him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine, with pestilence, and by wild beasts of the earth. Again, these are two words for death, death and Hades. They're both uh, words used in Greek. Uh, Warren Wearsby suggests that death will claim the body while Hades, uh, the soul, uh, again, I'm, I don't know 100% about that, but what I do know is that the Bible says that 25% of the world's population will be killed during this time. A quarter of the population will be destroyed by violence, famine, disease, and people being eaten by wild beasts. Was this new? Is this new information? No. Ezekiel chapter 14. This is, we're talking about about 600, 700 years before Jesus. Ezekiel 14, 21. For thus says the Lord God, how much more when I send upon Jerusalem my four disastrous acts of judgment, sword, famine, wild beasts, and pestilence, to cut off from it man and beast. People will die, not just people will die. If you can imagine that, that counter, how many people have died of COVID, right? You see it on every news website. Imagine that going to 25% of the world's population. And how do they die? Again, by violence, by pandemics, and by by famine and by being eaten by wild beasts. Can it get any worse? According to the Bible, it gets from bad to worse. Look at the fifth uh, seal, starting in verse 9. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? These verses describe the persecution of post-rapture saints. In other words, we just said that the church will be raptured, right? So who are these people? Can people become saved during the tribulation period? Yes. People will become saved during the tribulation period. Not only will people from all around the world, but Jews will become Christians, as we will see in a second. There will be a mass conversion of Jews that will accept Jesus as the Messiah during this time. So this is, 
even though we're in the judgment period, we see here the part of the judgment is those who become believers will be persecuted. Now, what's interesting is that they are praying a prayer that sometimes you and I want to pray. I know maybe you're more holy than me and you don't want to pray this, but this is called an imprecatory prayer. Um, he, they're actually asking for vengeance. O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on earth? We, my dear brothers and sisters, are not to pray imprecatory prayers. Now, we can read the Psalms and we see imprecatory prayers. For example, uh, David prays them against his enemies. Psalm 11, for example. Psalm 11, 5 and 6. The Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. Verse 6 says, Let him rain coals on the wicked. Fire and sulfur on the scorching wind shall be a portion of their cup. Can we pray that prayer? You might say, oh, it's in the Bible. The answer is no. I'll explain in a second. One of the harshest imprecatory prayers, Psalm 109. Here are some selected verses. Be not silent, O my God, O God of my praise, for wicked and deceitful mouths are opened against me, speaking against me with my lying tongues. Appoint a wicked man against him. Let an accuser stand at his right hand. When he is tried, let him come forth guilty. Let his prayer be counted as sin. May his days be few. May another take his office. May his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. May his children wander about and beg, seeking food far from the ruins they inhabit. May the creditor seize all that he has. May strangers plunder the first fruits of his toil. Let there be none to extend kindness to him, nor any to pity his fatherless children. May his prosperity be cut off. May his name be blotted out in a second generation. Why can't we pray that prayer? That's an imprecatory prayer that is prayed against the enemies. The reason we cannot pray that prayer is because of what we call progressive revelation. Jesus' teaching is clear. What does Jesus say to us? Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Never will you see in the teachings of Jesus to pray an imprecatory prayer. Again, it's in Scripture. We have no doubt that David felt that way, but he never says that it's what God wants for us to do. There are some things that change when Jesus comes, and one of them is what we should do with our enemies, is to love them and is to pray for them. These people are in a different dispensation. Remember, the church is raptured, this happens in the great tribulation. These are post-rapture saints who are persecuted and they are in a different time than we are. That's why they are praying this. Verse 11. Then they were given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves have been. The white robe of these martyr of those martyrs are a pledge of future and final glory and a consolation that no judgment awaits them. As a matter of personal examination, my dear brothers and sisters, we will not, I, I just want us to understand, we will not be part of that persecution. But if we are going to go through persecution in this church age, are we ready. Uh, 
And sometimes, by the way, I have to say that some, some of us would rather die for Christ than live for Him. But we will not die for Him if you cannot live for Him. So we need to be committed to living for Christ, that when time is to die for Him, we will be able to do so. Um, musician John Fisher challenges us when he says, Point a gun at each of the 60 million who, according to Mr. Gallup's poll, are born-again Christians. Tell them to renounce Christ or have their heads blown off, and then take a recount. I think George Lagidian would find his troops dwindling. Actually, the price probably wouldn't have to be so extreme today. Threatening to confiscate their TV sets might just produce the same results. And this is the line that this struck me. When faith is cheap, it is easily pawned. When faith is cheap, it is easily pawned. If our faith is not cheap, and it is not, we will be ready to not just live for Christ, but to die for Him. The sixth seal reveals worldwide, worldwide cataclysms. Starting in verse 12, When he opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as a sackcloth, the full moon uh, became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell at the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth, and the great ones, and the generals, and the rich and the powerful, and everyone slave and free, hid themselves in the caves among the rocks of the mountains, calling on the mountains and rocks, Fall on us, hide us from the face of him who is sitting on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of the wrath has come. Who can stand it? Again, this should not be late breaking news from any, for anybody who knows Scripture. The book of Joel in chapter 2. This is a prophet of God. Again, that prophesies hundreds of years before Jesus. Joel 2, verses 30 to 31, And I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Joel talks about that. Jesus talks about that in Luke 21. There will be signs in the sun and moon and stars and on the earth distress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves. People fainting with fear and will be foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. What's interesting is they, they say here, these people that are caught into this say, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. I don't know about you, but I, I was expecting there to, to read from the wrath of the lion. It doesn't say from the wrath of the lion. It says from the wrath of the lamb. Not only that, these people would rather die, these people would rather die than stand before a holy and righteous God and repent. If you read about Jesus in the book of Revelation, he is described as the lamb. But if you look in chapter 5, verse 6, he also has horns. And in chapter 5, verse 5, he is like the lion. As we just said, the lion and the lamb. But here, people will experience not the wrath of the lion, but the wrath of the 
lamb. What sinners dread or should dread most is not death, but standing before a holy and righteous God. But before chapters, uh, the sixth and the seventh seal, there's an interlude. There's a pause. We, we are, uh, in a way, uh, taken back to another uh, image. And again, we'll go back to the throne room in a second. But during this interlude, something very interesting happens. Again, we see there are Jewish people who will accept Jesus as the Messiah during the Great Tribulation. And the Bible here speaks of 144 of them. And again, uh, some, some people speculate that this, is the, this represents the entirety of, uh, of, Christian, of, of people who become Christians. Uh, no. Uh, if we're a little confused, notice please how it says it's from each tribe of Israel. And again, so we're not confused, he names the 12 tribes. These are not just people, these are Jewish people who are sealed, and the persecution that we talked about earlier cannot touch them. So these are not going to be martyrs because they are sealed to take the gospel to the four corners of the earth, which is an expression to mean the whole earth. Judgment is halted while God seals this 144,000 Jews who will carry the message of God to the ends of the earth. Look in chapter 7, verse 1. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, that no wind might blow on earth or sea or against any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God, and he called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm earth and sea saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. Then you can read that on and on. These Jews are Christian, will become followers of Christ and become God's chosen missionaries. And the other part of the interlude is the tribulation saints in chapter 7, starting in verse Nine. Now we're back in the throne room that Pastor Kip and Lucas introduced to us a couple of weeks ago. We're back in the throne room. Chapter 7, verses 9 and on. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in hands. The palm branches represent victory. This image is, a vic- is, a, is an image of victory. This is a picture of victory. Again, this is back in the throne room. Crying out with a loud voice, Salvation, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. They recognize something that, that everybody knew in the Old Testament. Salvation belongs to the Lord. It's what the psalmist said. It is what Jonah said from the belly of the fish. Salvation belongs to the Lord. But what's paradoxical here is that their robes are washed in the blood of the Lamb. As one scholar puts it, 
in modern thought, making anything white by washing it in blood is paradoxical and even shocking. But it was not so with John and those with an Old Testament background. To them, such washing denoted spiritual purity. Not just any blood would accomplish the cleansing. Even the blood of the martyrs couldn't do it. It had to be the blood of the Lamb. The seventh seal. Remember, if you were here a couple of, a few weeks ago when Dr. Randy Smith was here, remember what he said. If you think about uh, fireworks, you know how you have that one firework that splits into others? Think about that as the seventh seal. The seventh seal basically gives birth to seven trumpets. And uh, Sam will cover that next week. By the way, that sound says that there will be an eighth seal at some point. No, but yeah, okay. Um, I know it's sometimes the, the message is too serious that you don't want to laugh. You either cry or laugh about it, right? So that, that's okay. Um, how do we apply this? First of all, um, examine. We have to examine ourselves. In 2 Corinthians 13, um, starting in verse 5, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? Why do we need to examine ourselves? Well, we need to examine ourselves to see if we're part of the church. Because if we're not part of the church, we will not be raptured if the rapture would happen during our lifetime. In other words, if we are not raptured with the church, we will experience the things I just talked about in the Great Tribulation. And just like God says to the seven churches, repent and don't be doing for those people. Don't, don't, don't belong to those people. Don't belong to the people in the Great Tribulation. We are here to test ourselves to see if we are in the faith. And if we're not in the faith, we need to surrender our life to Christ. So I'm going to give you three tests. By the way, there are many tests in Scripture where we can do that. But three tests where we can examine ourselves this morning. First of all, the test of the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, 9, and 10. You, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who doesn't have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. The question is this. When you sin and the Holy Spirit convicts you, how fast do you feel that conviction of the Holy Spirit and you go to the cross for forgiveness? If you sin, and if you don't feel the Holy Spirit prompting and conviction of sin, it could be that you might not be saved. Or your conscience is seared. I cannot answer that for you, and you cannot answer it for me. You have to stand before God through the Holy Spirit and ask yourself, do I have the Holy Spirit? Second is the test of love. 1 John 3.14 We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers and the sisters. Whoever does not love abides in death. Let's, let's do that test for ourselves. How much do we love our brothers and our sisters? Again, I cannot answer it for you. You cannot answer it for me. And it's not just that we say that we love them, but how do we act towards one another? Do we show love or do we not? 
The test of the Holy Spirit, the test of love, the third test is the test of righteousness. 1 John 2.29, if you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. 1 John 3.9, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. And if you are doing all this test and say, yes, I'm a believer, what do we need to do is what Peter says to, to the church, the first century church in 2 Peter 3, 11 and 12. Since all these things are thus going to be dissolved, what sort of people are you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God? What a difference between a life lived in sin and what Peter calls here lives of holiness and godliness. Waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God. What we need to do is to examine ourselves to see where we're in the faith. If you are a believer, if the rapture were to happen, you will be raised with Christ. The book of Thessalonians is clear. But if Jesus Christ is now your Lord and Savior, that as far as application is, you need to surrender yourself to God today. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Take God seriously and surrender your life to Him today. Uh, don't, don't be like the ones who say, Well, Tiberius, if I'm not going to be uh, raised through the rapture, I'm going to repent after I see that you guys are out of here. I realize I was wrong and I'm going to become a believer. I wish you had that time, but it, according to the Bible, you don't. This is the day of salvation. Listen to the book of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 that talks about what's going to happen with people who reject Christ here, now, and will not be part of the rapture. 2 Thessalonians 2 starting in verse 7. For the mystery of lawlessness is already a work. Only he who now re restrains, it will do so until he is out of the way. And when the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders, with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. According to Paul, what Paul says after the rapture, these people who reject Christ will be eternally deceived and they will not be able to surrender their life to Christ then. That's why I say again, take God seriously and surrender your life to Him today. Today is the day of salvation. Worship the Lion of Judah today or experience the wrath of the Lamb tomorrow. Jesus said, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides in him. You have a choice. Worship, surrender, or experience the wrath of God. Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you for your word. Sometimes uh, challenging, sometimes hard to understand. But thank you for your word that 
shows us today we are still in the time of grace and mercy and you're still inviting people to repentance. And I pray that for those who are here and not yet believers that today will be the day of salvation and they will surrender their lives to you. Help us to take you seriously, to take all your words seriously and to live lives of holiness and righteousness, not just waiting for, but hastening the coming of the day of the Lord. In Christ's name we pray, amen.